0: It is my pleasure to sit before you on this 18th day of March, 2015, the year of our Lord, to announce to the world and all those listening that Jennifer is our 10,000th download contest winner. We want to give a special thank you to all the thousands or six entries that we had in the contest. We thank all those again who supported us, and we thank all those who continue to listen.
1: Hey guys, this is Jennifer, and here is my entry into the contest so, I read a lot of blogs and writings by different priests and theologians, and I try to read a lot in the lives of the saints, and I find all these things to be, you know, uplifting and inspirational, and I'm so grateful for them. But sometimes they just seem so lofty and heavenly and unattainable. But when I listen to you guys, I love it because you guys are just you know talking about your day-to-day experience, real life stuff we can relate to, and then bam, these amazing moments where this where the sacred and the secular just collide in this amazing glory and over abundance of grace that you guys talk about, and it's beautiful. And you've really encouraged me to look at the circumstances in my life, which I would have otherwise considered just mundane and dull and unimportant to my calling and realized that, no, this is where God wants me to be and this is sacred. And so recently when my children were overcome with stomach flu and I was washing up dirty laundry and scrubbing puked on toilets for the umpteenth time, I was able to truly consider it joy that I was able to offer this up to Jesus. And really that's something that I've not been able to do before. So For that, I thank you immensely.
2: Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and
3: put entirely at your disposal. Two weekends ago, my brother called me on Saturday morning, early, and I happened to be happened to be awake. and he was he had been staying at my sister and brother-in-law's house because him and his fiance were going to like a concert the next day, and so he was there already. and my my little niece had, who's also my goddaughter, um, she had had a seizure like real early in the morning. thank god my my sister happened to be awake when it happened. and so they got her right into the hospital. But at the time, <clears throat> we didn't know how serious it was. We didn't know how, um, like, what was going on. So, literally, my brother called me, and he's like, hey, I just wanted you to, know, um, like, start praying and um, maybe head this way. Like, they took Caroline to the hospital, and he's like, all I know, they were running out the door, and my sister, Jen... Said like she wasn't sure if she was breathing or not, and my brother in law thought that she was, and so that's literally all the info wow. that my my brother my brother had, and so he had their little little boy because thankfully he was he was there.
0: And just to clarify, Caroline
3: is your niece, my niece. Okay. Yep. So she's gonna be two in in May. Okay. And, um, and
0: she was the one who was having the seizure. So she's
3: the one that had the seizure. Okay. So I was like, okay, um <clears throat> you know, so I I hopped in the shower and I just like hopped in my car and. Galesburg's like four hours from here and I was I was like, Well, I don't know, like honestly I have no idea what this is gonna entail, like if it's gonna be super serious or if it's not, but you know, wanna wanna be there. And so I was driving down like an hour later, my mom called me and said that they had um they stabilized her when she got to the Galesburg hospital, but the doc decided to life flight her in the helicopter instead of taking the ambulance to get to Peoria. And so again, I don't know like much about Um, like hospital protocol, but I've always heard that like life flight has to be, has to be very serious for them to take you life flight from one hospital to the other. So, so, I mean, it was, it was a very, very stressful morning. So I, I texted, um, like you guys and a number of other friends to start praying for her and everything. And so I get there and, um, they, once they got her to Peoria, her vitals stayed pretty, pretty solid, um, at that point. But uh, so I got there like mid morning uh, to the hospital, and my parents like because she was stable and like she was in the pediatric ICU and everything. My parents actually went to like my sister's house, and so they had they were with my brother and like my sister's little boy John, watching him. But I just went right to the hospital because it was easier for me to to drive there. And so I get there, and I had not been to this particular hospital since I think it's either 2011 or 2012 i can't remember but my grandma and my uncle died there um like two days apart same hospital and so that was just a i mean incredibly intense um sad you know hard but honestly very like grace-filled time for for my family even amongst these these deaths my grandma had heart failure and was obviously older. And, but then my uncle was like in his forties and he died of, of cancer. And so had all these emotions kind of coming back, honestly, from, from that, like those few days that we were at that hospital so much and not knowing like if my niece was going to be okay or anything like that. So I, I get up to the room and I'm able to see her and, um, you know, set a prayer with my sister and brother-in-law and, and niece and everything. And, um kind of throughout the whole day and I noticed especially like even when I was in the hospital room with them and and this was honestly from like from the very get-go even from when I got that phone call from my brother that I just had like a real sense of peace about the whole situation like and it wasn't a it wasn't like uh everything's going to come out great like it's going to be fine it wasn't it wasn't that at all but it was just this sense that like you know, even in this, God is, God is very much here. And like, I trust that he's a provident God and that, you know, he, he loves, I mean, Caroline, honestly, she's my little goddaughter. I don't know that there's another human being that I love more than her. Um, but I trust that he's, he'll take care of her, you know, no matter, no matter what, like he will take care of her and he's going to take care of my family today and guide us through this. And so, um, I just kind of had that um, in a very deep way throughout that whole day. And so I was up in the hospital room for a couple hours and, um, things were like looking a little bit better, a little more stable. And, uh, so I ran down to the cafeteria, um, just to get a soda, kind of walk around a little bit from the drive. And I happened, I honestly was not looking. Um, I was not, was not looking for it at all. Um, but it had literally was like, on my way to the cafeteria was the chapel. It's a Catholic hospital in Peoria. And so I, I stopped in there and it was just me. There's it was very small. There's no one else in there. And it was just the, like the golden tabernacle and the, the red candle that was burning there. So I kneeled down and, um, you know, said a prayer for my niece. And honestly, all I like the only prayer that just came from my heart at the time was like a, just a prayer of Thanksgiving. And I kind of recalled all of those, all of those memories from those few days when we lost uh, grandma and uncle Tim and um, like all the very real suffering that was, that was in that. Um, And just the realization, you know, it's, it's, you can't really put words past, like any words past that of just like God was there. Like he was with us in that suffering, suffering with us. And at the time, like when I was in the chapel, I mean, we still didn't know like anything of what caused it with Caroline, if it was going to happen again or anything like that. And so it was still very scary, but just like very much at peace. And and uh, and so I, I've kind of reflected on that time, like it was literally like five minutes in the chapel is all it was, but the image that sticks with me more so than... Anything else that day more so than like my niece with a bunch of wires on her or like the hospital or anything, anything else was that golden tabernacle with the the red candle burning by it and it's funny like we talk about brideshead, but this is what I wrote my editor's column on for the bridge because we're t- this whole issue is gonna hopefully kind of have a theme of like the new evangelization and talk about how in all these different avenues whether it be the the trips to college campuses or the basketball tournament or Monsignor Meyer being a priest for seventy years or whatever, that um like Christ is going to work through all of that, you know, in order to draw people closer to himself and then um, you know, hopefully lead people to a lifelong like commitment and discipleship to him. And so that's what it that's what it really was for me was just realizing that um, like I'm not the savior in this situation and I don't have to be, I don't, I can't be, um, but I don't have to be. And, and kind of going back and letting, letting those memories come up with, um, my grandma and my uncle of as hard as it was. And, um, you know, I think it was very healing for, for me, the experience in the chapel, but also like right in it, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not the savior. And the line that, you know has kind of come to me since was just like you know the the story that like I get to call life and each in our own individual way, like we we get to call life um wherever it takes us, um you know, I wonder more and more like like who the actual protagonist is like it's not it's not us willing ourselves into being, but rather this God who is good that came to um like came to conquer death, like the one thing we couldn't conquer um it's him drawing every single person to himself, like in their own way and everything so i ended I ended the the editor's column with the the twitch upon a thread quote from from bride'shead of you know he sets this uh invisible visible hook and lets us go all the way around the world and he'll call us back with a twitch upon the thread. but what was cool for me was that um you know it was a conversion moment like whatever you want to want to call it um but it was right like in the heart of very scary suffering that that he was and it was a super big grace that you know was able to to notice it and like call it to mind and have it now and kind of still be processing it um but anyway yeah so i don't know i'm anxious for you guys to read the article and see what you think i don't know if it makes sense At all to like incorporate Brideshead like I did. But it was when I was when I was writing it, I was just like jamming on this. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. So that's nice. I don't want to get too uh
2: too speculative and theological about it, but it reminds me of a thing we were talking about in class today, about um original sin and death as a result of original sin and that the whole theory from sort of Thomas Aquinas in the middle age perspective of how that question gets answered because we we believe that sin entered the world or death entered the world through sin because of our turning away from God mm-hmm. we lost these preternatural original gifts of immortality which has always been a little bit hard for me to swallow because you see in nature and and evolution and even just the structure of the cosmos all this destruction and death that's kind of necessary for things to progress like the theory of evolution is predicated on this like massive extinction events and things that uh, cause only the fit to survive and then and so on and so forth um, you know I've, i I always had trouble like picturing a, a Garden of Eden existing somewhere where mm-hmm. human beings just popped up out of nowhere and were going to live forever, but they ate the fruit of the tree and so then they had to die. Mm-hmm. but the way that Thomas Aquinas kind of explains it is. Um, that first of all, original sin is not, you know, some disease that's transmitted in our nature that that infects us all individually. Um, I mean, it is. We are all, we all um, are sort of born into a state of corruption. That that mm-hmm. the world is not as it should be, mm-hmm. and we are inclined to sin from the very moment of our birth uh, to to want things that aren't good for us, you know, and to be selfish instead of self-giving and and all of that. It's not just simply we're imitating our parents as bad example, but that there's something inherently wrong with us that needs to be saved um, and redeemed. But at the same time, like when Paul says that in Adam all sinned, you know, and so death entered the world, Mm -hmm. what Thomas is saying that Paul is saying is that in a way, like we are all Adam. And just as the hand might commit murder, but the whole person is commit is convicted of it, so we are all one human kind like we we share in adam's humanity the the our first parents are the parents of of all of humanity and of our nature, and we receive just like you received your human nature your who you are from your parents um we all received them from adam and so In a way, we're all culpable, even though we didn't commit that first sin ourselves. We were a collective person in a way. And of course, in our individualist society, it's really hard for us to to understand that because we say, like, I didn't do it, so why do I get punished? But Father Hebden was saying that every human society up till ours took this for granted, that as like a state or as a church or as an organization or any public body that you were not just responsible for the things you did but for you know what other people in your family did or what your father did and on and on through the generations you know
3: yeah were you gonna say something yeah it just it kind of something else i've been processing through is that there was a certain even like with my little niece in the hospital like in this specific situation um I don't know the the only way I can word the experience like there was a certain like with God being so present there was a certain dignity to it like mm-hmm. it didn't make perfect sense or anything like that but I think it's getting at that like communal dimension of salvation and like the body of Christ and even since then like I know Father Barron just did a commentary on the Stephen Fry video have you seen mm-hmm. that. So I haven't watched uh, Barron's um, commentary on it, but I've watched it's, it's this thing on YouTube that's blown up. Stephen Fry is a British like, comedian who's an atheist, mm-hmm. and he's on some show, and they ask him, you know, he's pretty much like making fun of God and people who believe in God, and they ask him, it's like, okay, well, say you're wrong, then what would you tell God when you get to heaven? And he's like, he, he said, I'd look right at him. I'd be, and I'd say, like, explain bone cancer in children, mm-hmm. you know. And he kind of goes on this huge rant about like all this suffering in the world, and he wants an explanation for it. And um, you know, I mean, it's got millions of views yeah. on YouTube. And so, anyway, so I'm sure. I and I think Baron talked about it here a little bit. I think he kind of goes through job and like just isn't it's not an, an impressive argument that fry like yeah you know comes up with and it's certainly not original but my response was a little bit more like honestly i think emotionally driven and like experience based and like when i watched it i related it to like my little niece caroline in the um in the hospital that day and i was just like you arrogant ass like mm-hmm. how do Dare you, right. like, go after her dignity in this? Because that's what you're doing. Like, you come off as some humanist, right? And you, pl- and it's and ignorant. you just say, well, it's you're just saying
2: basically ch- suffering children are uh, worthless, are just yeah, yeah. Like, this is the mistake
3: that God made, or something like that. And, and yeah, I don't even, I don't even that. Like, I don't know. But that was the. Well, here's the thing. Where I was going with that? Is
2: yeah, that you're hitting on it that. The collective person, Adam, that we we have all sinned and um, turned away from God, and as a result, suffer mm-hmm. you know because God had these gifts f- for us to have, but we have in Adam and all of us have who have had grown into maturity and had the opportunity to commit our own sins, mm-hmm. have reached out for something that isn't God, have chosen to depend on ourselves. For our own fulfillment rather than adhere to god's goodness and his infinite love for us we've we've turned away from him and gone in a different direction after the things of the earth thinking that they would satisfy us or that we even had it in us to make ourselves happy Mm -hmm. and in turning away from god you turn away from his gifts one of which was immortality Mm -hmm. and so the way thomas explains that is like that here we have this paradox that our souls are immortal that there's something in us, the principle, uh, I, you know, the person, I, and every one of us, longs for an eternal goal, longs for a life that does never end, that never ends. Yet we live this existence in a body made of contrary substances, in a in a world that de- decays and changes, mm-hmm. and so are destined for death. In our nature, what we share with the animals is that we have bodies and that they die, that we're mortal. So God had to. Um, give us a special grace to never die, basically. And turning away from his love in the beginning, all of us as as a race, as a human race, said, no, I don't trust in you. I don't want what you have for me because I want this other thing. And so that gift, he turns us over to our choice to just live a biological existence, to just live as if this world is all we're made for. So all of us, in Adam have made that choice and continue to make that choice. Every one of us, I mean, if you looked at your day-to-day, you would see a number of choices where you said, I just want to live like an animal. I just want to live as if this world is all there is, you know? Um, So what's the solution to that, right? So because now we're all in this situation where God has let us be free. He's let us have the consequences of our choice to just live this existence that's biological and has an end, even though we know we don't want it. Um, Well, the answer is to be incorporated into another collective person, which is Christ, who has fashioned out of mortality a remedy for sin, which one of the prefaces talks about. That um, in a way, like in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says that, that Christ liberates us from the fear of death that the fear of death in a certain way is the fuel for sin because we're so anxious about death and this limited time we have or the limited resources of the earth or, or the goods in human society that we, we kill each other and we, we stab each other in the back and we, we put each other down so that we can have a fuller life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know. And so it fuels this, this anxiety about death fuels our sin and our division. But in another way, what Christ shows us is that that fear of death can be salutary because it is the exact way that we are made most to depend on God, mm-hmm. and that Christ's obedience unto death, which Paul says after that part about Adam, in all Adam, in, in all in Adam all have sinned, and through sin death entered the world. So through Christ's obedience, who's been obedient even to death, in Philippians, um, even death on a cross. God greatly exalted him. God highly exalted him because that's exactly the plan he had for Adam in the first place was to live in this trust in God Um, because God is a person, you know, and that's what he wanted ultimately was not just for us to have blind obedience to him or to obey his commands and do what he wanted us to do, but to live in a communion with him, a friendship with him. And so death ends up being this thing which is such a horrible punishment. You know, you could look at it that way, like, you know we got duped into being to be born into this world it's like being brought on a plane that you know is going to crash mm-hmm. right it's it's destined to to end in tragedy every one of our lives we're all going to die but the answer to the paradox is christ so your your experience in the hospital where you can't do anything about it you know mm-hmm. like if there was a solution if there was if you did have some power within your own self and your own ingenuity to save your niece you wouldn't have gone to that chapel and just knelt down on your knees and said god you know what you really are in control because ultimately that is the truth no matter no matter how good doctors are or no matter how much medicine uh, advances we're all dependent on god to be born to stay alive and to live and to live into a happy death it's all grace and so that's that's the answer ultimately to the the problem of suffering and and it won't satisfy a person who doesn't Know that God is a person, and who has never met Him. Mm-hmm. You know,
3: um, what it, and I would even say, especially like in our human capacity, you know, at least for me, to be completely honest, like it doesn't fully explain suffering, but it dignifies it. Right is, I think the the more accurate way to say it. Like we we can't, like even with these stories and experiences, honestly, like I can't to myself like fully comprehend and explain. Um, you know what I believe like this masterpiece that God is like painting in the world you know to be let alone like explain it to someone else but I can say like very tangibly through that experience is like but what you're saying like with Christ there it's dignified mm-hmm. and like that is what draws you
2: and make Stephen Fry go to a children's hospital where kids are actually dying of bone cancer right. And and sit there and tell them isn't God such a horrible person yeah you think a kid would say that? No. Of course not. Or the people who care for them or their parents. I mean, maybe the outliers, maybe certain and and you know, we can't speak for them necessarily, but I have a brother who has a very sick kid. Yeah. And has suffered a lot. Mm-hmm. The kid and and them. And Stephen Fry telling like those people, my brother, my sister-in-law, or my little niece, like God is such a terrible God mm-hmm. would not make any sense to them, and also know, saying because their suffering has driven them into the heart <laughs> yeah. of Christ, you yeah. know, and that's where their only salvation is, and for the and for this guy to say he's so cruel, mm-hmm. um, it's just like saying blah blah blah. It's no, it makes no sense.
3: Yeah, and that I mean that was, it makes no sense. It's a like you said, it's not an original argument, and that was my exact like exact reaction to that it wasn't like you know it didn't make me like wonder or doubt that god was there or whatever but it was like honestly it was like you arrogant ass like that is exactly what came through my mind and it but you know for me i'm sure it's like it even evokes certain things in you thinking about your brother and your sister-in-law and and their little girl and um but, you know, thinking about my niece and, and certainly, like, what my sister and brother-in-law went through that day was like, how how dare you? Like, that, mm-hmm. is, that is sacred ground because, like you said, that has led them into the heart of Christ probably in a deeper way than they ever have been before. Deeper way than I ever have been before, honestly, just mm-hmm. as the uncle and um, going in, in in that capacity. And, uh, you know, to think that you can, you know, tread on that sacred ground and spit on it is is ignorant Mm -hmm. um and so yeah what were you gonna say mike
0: well it just challenges like a foundational aspect of somebody's life in such a like arrogant way like oh hey all the things that you believe are like your hope and your salvation the things that you find peace and joy and comfort in are made up because you're afraid like what Mm -hmm. a ridiculous statement to say to somebody who's in the midst of suffering and dying and death, like if they were to say that to your family, um, like, oh, you just created all of this so that you could uh, pacify some deep, intense pain and longing. No, because what you're saying, what you would say is the solution to this. Like, oh, if you had a medicine to fix this, um, that's even that is a temporal fix. Mm-hmm. That's not the solution. They're going to die. Right. This is There's a bigger problem going on here than just that. And the solution that you're pointing to, and that you say that we think is crazy, stands outside of all of this time that you're talking about. Um, and so, for you to come in and and butt around and basically call you intellectually stupid, but also the whole process that you're going through, absolutely undignified, is that's a huge. Like that's a. But it goes back to acclaim. the claim, the Plato argument that I brought up many many podcasts
2: ago about. Uh, being able to judge the sweetness of something that you've never tasted basically you know so the the pleasure guy doesn't get why the money guy would give up pleasure the money guy doesn't get why the honor guy would give up money and so the honor guy doesn't get why the philosopher king would give up everything for the truth and you know the christians who have lived through suffering so 21 martyrs on the beach in egypt you know um it makes no sense, and it's just a it's just dumb suffering uh, to the uninitiated. Um, and God chooses people to endure these things with him, you know? And the martyrs and the great sufferers... Who's the Italian girl, the saint? Was it? Oh, Chiara Badano. Yeah, you read these stories of people who have been afflicted with great suffering and that could have easily shook their fist at God, and maybe at certain points in their life did, and say, Why me? But then have gone deeper and tasted something so nourishing um, that it's like this this cross that they're carrying is is you know the the fountain of their joy that if they hadn't been selected to endure this suffering would never have had the opportunity to taste and then from from the outside of someone living a comfortable life walking on two functional legs and you know um, like the privilege of a great education and living in a Western country with everything that you could want saying the fact that there is suffering out there means that God doesn't exist. Um, I mean, I understand it. I don't want to say that this guy's just, you know, wicked or, or stupid, but it's
0: um, definitely not true. Yeah. So, and, and I think like, Barron uses a really good analogy to, um, again, it's not explaining away the problem. And what you're saying, this is not an original argument. This is something that scripture has been, I mean, Christianity and Judaism has been going after and looking at this problem of suffering and evil since the beginning of, you know, humanity. It's always been there. Um, But when you look at someone like Blessed Kiera Luce Badano um, and how you can find intense joy and intense peace, even as she's dying. Um, He uses the uh, analogy of um, basically like the divine perspective as being wisdom, as being able to see the providential hand of God, that it, it doesn't take you out of the suffering, but it allows you to see with the eyes of faith that helps you to see a bigger picture of what's going on. Instead of one specific moment in time, it helps you to see the full Sort of fleshing out of um, how God sees things, and again, it doesn't take you away from the suffering that you're in right now, but it helps you to see it within the right lens. It helps you to see it within the right context and perspective, which is seeing things with the eyes of faith, seeing things not just as a a sole moment in time. Where okay, I just have to, you know, if if Blessed Carol Luce Badana was to get over her sickness. She's going to die eventually, you know, so her peace is something that transcends what we understand as time and space. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying um It transcends sickness and health it yeah. transcends all, all of that that's Ignatius's
2: indifference. you know don't prefer being healthy to sick to sick or to being rich to being poor well you're what you're talking about is getting to a level of consolation that that is not dependent at all on your fortune in life right.
3: And what is cool, and, and so to kind of even go back to, like, this specific situation in my life, like, is there was, honestly, there was, like, an offense taken on my part at an emotional level, like, to uh-huh. this to this video. And with this, Stephen Fry. With Stephen yeah. Fry, certainly. Um, and honestly, like, it has, it, like, turned into, like, that realization of, like, okay, I but you know even amongst all of that i know that um like he probably really does believe what he's saying mm-hmm. and like there honestly there is like kind of a pull in me to continue to pray like for him even mm-hmm. though like i'm probably never going to meet the guy or i'm assuming he listens to three dogs north i don't know that though yeah, no, and was, uh yeah. numbers <clears throat> are very high yep and uh but anyway just to realize you know the reason that has 6 million views or whatever it has on it in YouTube is because it is kind of a voice for probably a lot of people that are hurting in a very mm-hmm. like deep way. And so um, like there's a certain even like sadness and heaviness that comes with that of like, yeah, I, it, it so it kind of moves like that initial, you know, I think it is good because like there was some anger that came up in me like initially and is still there around it that like, you know, as as catholics like we don't like we don't have to take that like bogus argument you know like Mm -hmm. that it it is offensive in in a lot of ways um but also just to realize it's kind of like let like in that emotion or whatever like let the heart of christ kind of enter into that as well Mm -hmm. and realize more and more that there's a lot of stephen fries in the world and it's like man I know that had i had his outlook uh that saturday that my niece was in the hospital would have sucked way more oh, than yeah. it did and uh and so like it kind of does like give me more energy like to just say like Call okay lord
2: get the good news out there
3: yeah i mean use me you know like mm-hmm. speak speak through this um because i know you want to so let me get out of your way like in whatever mm-hmm. way i can
0: yeah and in and- well, there was one thing that stood out from Barron's class was he said that humans we don't long we don't long for infinite time. We don't want to be vampires who are just never die. Mm-hmm. We long for eternal life. Yeah. Which is very very different than just infinitely living forever. And the answer to finding eternal life is not um living in this world trying to prolong our existence here Uh it's finding something that transcends all of that that what you're talking about what you mentioned earlier that uh consolation that your condition here on earth is not dependent upon Uh and that's that's being grafted onto the mystical body of christ that is the fountain of life that springs up within you and that will sustain you forever and always. Uh-huh. That is not conditioned, there's not dependent upon your money or your health. Even though those things are massively important uh-huh. and they certainly affect us. But there's an answer that's outside of time and space and it's eternal life. That's a right. person. That's a person of Jesus Christ, and that's it. So to try and look try and look around here on the ground, I know Baron's always doing the t- 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 scuffling on the ground. The answer's not here. Uh-huh. It's not uh, I mean, but that's one of these things that you can say that until you're blue in the face, sure. but until someone has actually experienced that life inside springing up within, uh, you know, it's something you got to meet the guy. Yeah. I know we talk about that all the time, but have you, you guys did. met you and Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I usually start conversations just out of habit. Have you experienced the power of prayer?
2: Yeah. Gosh, no freak, get on my face.
0: <laughs>
3: okay, I, I don't think so. Are we apologists
2: now?
0: <laughs> no. Hi, have you met the person of Jesus Christ? No. Okay, I'll have a number three then. <laughs> <laughs> All the tomatoes.
3: Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Three dogs north are juice.